My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 13. We're going to be reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Genesis 24, Job 13 and 14, Proverbs 2, verse 16 through 19. Genesis 24. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife from my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Nahariam and made his way to the town of Naor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethel, son of Milcah who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Naor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, "'Please give me a little water from your jar.' "'Drink, my lord,' she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, "'I'll draw water for your camels, too, until they have had enough to drink.' So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, "'Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night?' She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethel, the son that Milcah bore to Naor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. 
Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebekah had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and had heard Rebekah tell what the man said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I live. But go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, What if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, The Lord before whom I have walked faithfully will send his angel with you and make your journey a success, so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and from my father's family. You will be released from my oath if, when you go to my clan, they refuse to give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will please grant success to the journey on which I have come. See, I am standing beside this spring. If a young woman comes out to draw water and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink and I'll water for your camels too. Let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I'll water your camels too. So I drank and she watered the camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethel, son of Naor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshiped the Lord. I praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, so I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go. Let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothes and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, Let the young woman remain with us ten days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, Do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, Let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebekah and asked her, Will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebekah on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. 
and they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac has come from Berleroi, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from the camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Job 13. My eyes have seen all this. My ears have heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. But I desire to speak to the Almighty and to argue my case with God. You, however, smear me with lies. You are worthless physicians, all of you. If you only would be altogether silent, for you, that would be wisdom. Hear now my argument. Listen to the pleas of my lips. Will you speak wickedly on God's behalf? Will you speak deceitfully for him? Will you show him partiality? Will you argue the case for God? Would it turn out well if he examined you? Could you deceive him as you might deceive a mortal? He would surely call you to account if you secretly showed partiality. Would not his splendor terrify you? Would not the dread of him fall on you? Your maxims are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Keep silent and let me speak. Then let come to me what may. Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, for no godless person would dare come before him. Listen carefully to what I say. Let my words ring in your ears. Now that I have prepared my case, I know I will be vindicated. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I will be silent and die. Only grant me these two things, God, and then I will not hide from you. Withdraw your hand far from me and stop frightening me with your terrors. Then summon me and I will answer, or let me speak and your reply to me. How many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Will you torment a windblown leaf? Will you chase after dried chafe? From your right down bitter things against me and make me reap the sins of my youth. You fasten my feet in shackles. You keep close watch on all my paths by putting marks on the soles of my feet. So man wastes away like something rotten, like a garment eaten by moths. Mortals born of a woman are a few days and full of trouble. They spring up like flowers and wither away, like fleeting shadows they do not endure. Do you fix your eyes on them? Will you bring them before you for judgment? Who can bring what is pure from the impure? No one. A person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. So look away from him and let him alone till he has put in his time like a hired laborer. At least there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again, and its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground, and its stump die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. But a man dies and is laid low. He breathes his last and is no more. As the water of a lake dries up, or a riverbed becomes parched and dry, so he lies down and does not rise. Till the heavens are no more, people will not awake or be roused from their sleep. 
If only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger has passed. If only you would set me a time and then remember me. If someone dies, will they live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. You will call and I will answer you. You will long for the creature your hands have made. Surely then you will count my steps, but not keep track of my sin. My offenses will be sealed up in a bag. You will cover over my sin. But as mountains erodes and crumble and a rock is moved from its place, as water wears away stone and torrents wash away the soil, so you destroy a person's hope. You overpower them once for all, and they are gone. You change their countenance and send them away. If their children are honored, they do not know it. If their offspring are brought low, they do not see it. They feel but the pain of their own bodies and mourn only for themselves. Proverbs 2. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has let the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. I'm going to start out by saying, put your hand under my thigh. Hmm. It just reads weird in today's culture, right? (laughs) I'm not sure I've read anything entirely clear on the matter. Have you? If you have, email us at thestoryeducators at gmail.com. Yet, this exchange between Abraham and his servant does indicate some type of oath-like exchange that in our day and age might be something like raise your right hand or put your hand on the Bible in Western American culture anyway. Um, it, it was about putting your hand on something sacred, right? I looked into commentaries from Jewish and Christian perspectives, and there isn't clear consensus on what this means, but it so- does seem to connect to the covenant sign of circumcision, and I'm just going to leave it at that for now. <laughs> okay, so let's zoom out and talk about Genesis 24 overall, which we just read. It's a really cool chapter for several reasons. First, it's the last recorded words of Abraham in Scripture, and he's really expressing his faith in God. It's encouraging to think about him maturing in his surrender and his trust in God. Also, this is the longest chapter in Genesis. And what's the subject of the longest chapter in Genesis? It's marriage. Note, it's the first time a husband is described as loving his wife in verse 67. Up until now, it was stated more like, and he knew her, which essentially means he had sex with her. So there's no indication whether love is a part of it. But it's so much bigger than a marriage between Isaac and Rebecca. It's so much bigger. It's actually part of a bigger story about what God is doing uh, through Jesus in this rescue mission, how we are called into it, and how Jesus is going to rescue even those outside his chosen people. And he's going to bring living water to those that feel shame. Shame can be from something we did or from someone else, them doing something to us or a cultural thing that we just carry shame. So it can come a lot of different ways and we feel it quite intensely. So we're going to be talking about brides, grooms, wells, and shame. Are you ready? Let's dive in. So Dr. Valentine, a theologian from a university near Biola here in Southern California, wrote a clarifying article in Ministry Magazine, which I linked in the show notes. She makes this important connection between Rebecca's servant finding her as a bride for Isaac at a well, and then soon we'll read in Genesis 29 how Isaac and Rebecca's son Jacob will also meet his bride at a well. Um, Fast forward to Exodus 2, where we'll also be reading in a few weeks, Moses will meet his bride at a well. 
She notes there is something being developed in the Old Testament regarding wells, brides, meeting their grooms there. Also note that each of these women were considered Gentiles or not Jewish outside. Hmm, what might this mean? Dr. Valentine zooms into John 4 in the New Testament, where Jesus is sitting next to what is called Jacob's well. And we read the longest recorded conversation Jesus had with any person in the Bible, and this person is a Samaritan woman. Note, there had been something like a 700-year-long feud between Jews and Samaritans at this point. So in, in the story of John 4, Jesus had notably taken a detour to go to this well um, with his disciples. And Christy McClellan, um, a biblical culturologist, I believe that's how she goes, uh, wrote a devotional called Jesus and Women in the First Century and Now, where she shares a few rabbinic teachings of the Mishnah that Jesus would have been familiar with as a Jewish rabbi. Rules like don't talk to women in public, don't talk to them very much in general, including one's own wife. There was a mythical sage-like assumption that talking to a woman brought evil and it made them neglect the law and in the worst sense, inherit hell. Note, we have and will not read that any of this is true based on the Old Testament. It was also understood that the cultural context uh, then that the spit of a Samaritan woman was unclean, as was everything else about her. So not only that, but the Samaritan woman had been married and divorced five times and was living with a man unmarried. Our first assumption might be that she's, you know, a sexually loose woman or a difficult person. But remember, men choose when and whom women married and divorced. Women had no legal rights to their bodies, education, or economics. They could not live independently of a man in that time unless a man set her up with provision and protection for her to do so. So we just read how Abraham chose when it was time for Isaac to marry and whom he should marry. The negotiations for women and all of these stories were intertwined with their fathers or brothers. In Rebecca's case, it seems like her brother asked her if she wanted to go. In the case of Rachel, Leah, and Zipporah, it doesn't seem to say whether the woman had a choice in the matter or not. In this culture, men made these decisions for women on marriage, divorce, economics, and so Christy McCullen points to the fact that Jesus is naming the Samaritan woman's shame and not her sin in these verses from John 4. As Dr. Valentine states for the reader, a woman really couldn't survive unless she was attached to a man for for provision and protection. After a woman's abandonment and death or divorce from a man, if she didn't have a father or brother or adult son— who would take care of her or take her in, she had to find another man who would. Going through this experience five times is really quite tragic. We don't know the complexity of who is to blame for what and the individual relationships between this man and her ex-husbands or the man she's currently married or not married to but living with. Um, but we do know that culturally she would have been seen as a low, low in status and most likely socially ostracized. Even though it is more likely that this was a discarded woman with a painful past than a loose woman with a sinful past, according to Dr. Valentine, this is the woman from a people group, Samaritans, or from Samaria, uh, who, who drifted from their beliefs in a monotheistic God. Jesus detoured, I just have to say that again, Jesus detoured for her and for Samaria, if you will, in his travels. Just like in the story of Rebecca. Rachel and Zipporah, the Samaritan woman, came to the well to draw water. And Jesus, this holy rabbi, who was there alone at the well with her, asked her, in all caps, for a drink of water. 
Remember, Jesus' disciples had gone to the city to buy food. You might ask, was Jesus looking for a wife? Which is not a bad thing, and this is probably what his disciples thought when they came back. And scripture says they were essentially dumbfounded that Jesus was not only talking to a woman alone for an extended period of time, but it was this woman who was not only Samaritan, so outside their ethnicity, but perhaps also because she was not even socially perceived as honorable. A Samaritan is someone who came from the 12 tribes of Israel, but in time, in a time of war towards the end of the Old Testament, where we will read, how many of God's people were conquered and relocated, they intermarried with other cultures. I'm not sure the woman, the women had choices in these matters, but in any and all cases, she, this Samaritan woman, would not have been viewed as the Judean or from the Benjamin tribe, descendants of Israel, so not a Jew and definitely not an acceptable bride. Even she knew it. She asked in John 4, verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, asked a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus and this woman end up having this long and incredibly meaningful exchange. Again, the longest conversation recorded in the scripture that Jesus had with anyone. She asked Jesus if he is greater than Jacob, who we will learn soon is Isaac and Rebekah's son. Then, get this, when she starts talking about the Messiah, Jesus tells her that I am, meaning he is, he is the living water. He reveals to her that he is the Messiah. She is, in fact, the first person Jesus explicitly revealed his identity to. She asked to drink the living water. I imagine a hope sparked in her wounded soul in a way we can only imagine. Dr. Valentine then explains the pattern of brides, grooms, and the well, stories in scripture. And this was the first, the one with Isaac and Rebecca where women and men meet uh, at wells and the women leave the wells and go to their families and the families then come back to meet with the groom at the well. They share a meal and the two families make wedding plans. But the Samaritan woman doesn't go to her family. Might be a clue that she didn't have one, but instead she went back to her community. She is characterized as the first missionary ever, telling her community about Jesus the Messiah. And in John 4, verse 39, 32, and 17 verse 20, scripture describes how her witness led to people in town coming to believe in Jesus. Also note that in this story, when Abraham's servant refused to eat anything until the marriage arrangement between Isaac and Rebekah were complete, likewise in the John 4 story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, Jesus also refused the food and disciples had brought back. Instead, Jesus began talking about his food being the completion of God's work, like he had some sort of wedding plans to arrange. Note, these plans included a people group outside the Jews and a woman who was not a virgin and there is no poetic description of her as a young or beautiful. Hmm, Jesus is saying something powerful here about who he is and the scope of what he's going to do in his rescue mission. This is a far cry different and in contrast from what we read today when Abraham is trying not to pick an, an outsider who is Canaanite as a bride for his son Isaac and that she is young, beautiful, and a virgin. Like in so many biblical stories, Jesus uses the weak, the second born, the outcast, the unexpected, or just one of many to be part of his rescue mission. He chose 
her, the Samaritan woman. And she also represents us as we consider where the story goes and how the New Testament talks about Jesus as the bridegroom and his followers, his church, those who thirst to come to him because he is the living water um, as the bride. Aha, I just love what we are learning about who God is because after all, the Bible is a book about God and how we're a part of his world. I find for myself that that's very different than asking or looking at how God is a part of my world. One way of framing it looks to God centrally and me as part of the story and the other assumes I'm central and God is part of it. Hmm. The power of words, phrasing, framing, and perspective. But that's the marketer in me, right? Lastly, I want you to know that Jacob's well is still there in Samaria today. Christy McClellan describes it as about 130 feet deep, and you can still drink cool, clear water from it. How amazing is that? And then one note about Job. He is calling for a direct audience with God. He is sure of God and he is sure of himself and he wants to have this conversation. It's going to get exciting. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.